Hi there, I'm Mark Icero, and welcome to Article Club, where we read, annotate, and discuss one great article every month on race, education, or culture. Last month, we discussed the outstanding piece, The Stories I Haven't Been Told, by Jamie Figueroa, which was first published in Emergence Magazine in March. A few weeks ago, Ms. Figaro was extremely generous and agreed to answer our questions in a podcast interview. And so like normal, Sarai and I got excited and began to compile our questions and get ready for the discussion. But then something happened for the very first time at Article Club. There was so much interest in this article that two additional Article Clubbers wanted to join in on the conversation. So I'm very happy to announce that you're going to be hearing not just from me and Sarai and Miss Figueroa, but also from Article Clubbers Elizabeth and Jessica. The interview you're about to hear is wonderful. There's joy, there's pain, there's depth, and even if you haven't yet had a chance to read the piece, you're going to get something out of it. Here we go. Jamie, I'm so excited that you're on Article Club. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for reaching out, Mark and Sarai, and thanks for including me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Jamie, you have me and Sarai, but for the first time, we have a huge group. We've got Elizabeth Lopez also asking you questions and Jessica Ortiz. So we're just going to all have a great time getting to really just the beauty of your piece. And Elizabeth Lopez, you have the first question. Okay, so my first question has to do with how you started the piece and why was it important to start the piece about writing and describing the notebook and the pencil and how many three-letter words that you can make that's the first part of the question and I actually want to add like who was your who was your audience when writing this piece you know I think there's something about those details being important because at that age that felt like potential obstacles I didn't see other kids my age in, you know, writing poetry or trying to write poetry, right? And I think about how you could say, well, you have to have a certain amount of language to think that you can write a poem, right? Or you have to have a sense of skill to to do that or have been shown how to do that. I don't think I had been shown how to do that. And so I think there is something about at the beginning about establishing sort of rising to the occasion of what might be challenging with inspiration and creativity driving me as if it was something that I just had to do instinctually, if that makes sense. And that my hand was so small and, you know, all of those elements seem, can seem quite small and insignificant and also quite mundane and ordinary. And also they are the most powerful tools I think that we have. And they're the same tools I use now. You know, I still write long-handed first Uh, I don't use a pencil, but I still have, you know, notebooks that I cart around with me and and collect. And and my audience for this, you know, it's it's interesting because sometimes I I think about myself and I don't mean for this to sound selfish, but I think about probably how much I need to read something like this and how much I I haven't or it hasn't quite hit the spot or or maybe I have read something like this, but I need more of it, right? Because there just isn't enough. And so I think... Oftentimes, that's sort of my audience. It, it's so I guess, you know, pe- me and people like me who are feeling the same needs, have the same longing. That's super interesting and, and quite a lovely response, you know, like especially when we think about 
like writing and audience and stuff it's it's oftentimes like away from us you know like away from who we are as people and so I think it's really beautiful that you were able to kind of think about yourself and what you're needing in terms of the things that you're writing that's beautiful um yeah I mean I don't think I don't mean to interrupt you but I don't mm -hmm. think for BIPOC writers they say a whole conversation about audience right and typically how the literary canon of, of especially Western literature has been concerned with engaging, right? So I, I think that when we think about readers, it's first we have to think about who we are. I think that's how we get to our readers, right? Who we are, why are we writing what we're writing? Why and how does it matter? I think all of those questions can lead us to who is this for? Yeah. I think like speaking to your process too, do you have a, is there a specific process that you go through? Like, how do you prepare yourself to dig deep like this? Like, cause I, I feel like sometimes for me, it's just like a, it's like a letting everything go. And then it's kind of going on from there. But I feel like with this piece, especially there's so many different things, like the repetitions of like, I come from and the repetitions of inheritance. Like I'm wondering if you have a process for like getting ready to jump in to things like this. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a couple of different ways of answering that. The first is having that, that practice over time that you are able to just put everything out on the page, right? And you cultivate a relationship with yourself and you learn to trust yourself that no matter what is happening, you will not lie at least to yourself. You don't have to share that with anyone else, right? But at least come to a place in your life where you're not going to lie to yourself. So there's that building up of that kind of spine. And that's very much also goes in, in harmony with Natalie Goldberg's teaching and, and writing down the bones and that kind of writing as meditation, right? First thought, best thought, not censoring yourself and, and, and cultivating that as a practice. The other thing I will say is the editors of Emergence Magazine, and this is heads up, it's always good to ask for examples, right? What has worked well? Is there anything that you want me to consider in the writing of this? And, and they sent me four other examples, which I read and then proceeded to dissect and study how all of how they all worked, right? Sort of forward and backwards and what I appreciated about each one and what each one had in common and then where I felt like I could contribute something different. And then I'm someone who's very visual. So I had a, I was fortunate at the time to have a space, a, a friend's studio space. And I put everything up on the wall, all of the prompts. And I knew I wanted to do a braided essay. And so that is a very specific structure that I could pour all of this into. And so I had, I mean, I had th four, four different sections. And, and then I went about writing, you know, for each of the sections. and. There were some things, you know, in the editing process that didn't make it. I just think you need sensitive readers, sensitive editors who are really concerned about helping you to clarify what it is that you are aiming to, to say, right? And so I am grateful to editors. I love editors. A good editor is incredibly invaluable and I'm always open to and wanting to learn, but it can be, it can be really challenging. And there were times where I was in the middle and I just felt like this is really hard and I don't actually know how to get to the end. And then, you know, a very well-established voice in my, in, in my mind would kick in and just say, you know, just keep going. You can just write shit. 
just write anything. Like writing anything is better than nothing, right? Because then you have something to work with. And also you don't have to know where you're going. Just keep making the effort and you'll be carried through your effort and intention and through all of the forces of the unseen that are meeting you every time you sit down to engage your creativity and your imagination, right? And then I got to the end and I sent it in and and went through some edits and then, you know, was pretty terrified of it coming out because I felt like this is really raw and exposed. It's not like hiding behind fiction. And at a certain point in my life, I made a decision not to write memoir because I totally pissed my family off. I was okay to say that. Like, I'm not even close to my family and they came after me in a harsh way. And so like, don't you even think for a moment that you can call us by name or include us, you know, in your story. And so that was like 10 years ago, I had put a, a, a collection together of experimental creative nonfiction and it, it came up a, as a, a runner up and a prize and a piece was published and that my aunt, who's also my godmother saw it and she just like flipped. It is real that people wait to write stories until other people die. Like you, there are other ways of doing that. But I was so, I think, bold and naive and just like committed to the writing. And I had, you know, all my aunties like, my blood pressure is out of control. And <laughs> threatening people's lives, which goes to show you how powerful sharing story is. And the whole piece, it was quite short. And the whole piece was just a series of questions about rumors in our family that I never knew the answer. Like no one, everyone has a different idea of what these answers are. And so they were just like all these questions of trying to understand and put together some kind of identity. And that peeling of the mask that everyone had worked so hard to establish their whole adult lives here in the mainland was just like fierce. I mean, they went into like survival mode. And so, so yeah, I was really terrified right before it came out and, and just sort of, you know, bracing myself. And there's that thing that I feel like is so unfortunate again for, for BIPOC folks who are sort of the one of only in certain situations, many sort of situations where it's sort of like, and now here's the spotlight and you are the spokesperson. And so other BIPOC folks sometimes be like, excuse me, you know, like, and then you, and then you sort of start to feel torn because it wasn't maybe your intention or my intention to speak at large, right? Because there's no way I can do justice to, to each person's story. And that that even exists, that someone is like, oh, now we need this story. So here you go. Why don't you tell us about your people? And you're like, can everyone get to talk and share? I think that would be better. I think that would be better. Wow, that was amazing the way you kind of took us on a journey right there. That was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hi, Jessica. Um, do you have a question? I keep looking at Jessica like, do you have a question? <laughs> I, I do have a question, but I, I don't know. It, it might be shifting the, the conversation slightly. So is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Too. Okay. I wrote something earlier. Basically, my, my challenge and something that resonated with me in, in your piece is around language and culture and identity. And as someone who identifies as Puerto Rican, my, both of my parents are and my family is from there, but I don't speak Spanish. And when I travel to Puerto Rico, there's some, like you talked about like the spiritual healing about feeling what I feel is like a sense of home 
but then that quickly is like that sense of belonging is quickly undone by not being able to speak the language and and being feeling like an outsider in those moments of certain interactions so yeah I just if you could kind of speak to your experience with that I know that you have lots of experience and your insights I'm so happy you asked that question, Jessica, and I just like so feel for you and with you and my heart around that struggle. It's a real struggle, and I'm going to take a long way to answer that, which is I, I have noticed myself, there, there's a lot of people that I know who are, you know, white women who speak Spanish fluently, who are in my life, and all the time I'm like, really, Jamie Figueroa? Like, come on now. They are speaking Spanish, they're Spanish speakers. And, you know, not doing it perfectly. Some of them are, are fluent and, and travel all the time to Central and South America. And it is so hard not to judge in those situations. And I usually fail not to judge myself because I feel like I am failing. So it's just like a lot of feelings of, of failing and disconnection. And I can't tell you how many times I've tried to learn Spanish. And I think the best thing is to be immersed in a community for like three to five years <laughs> and I think we could have a different conversation but the thing that happens to me when I'm in Puerto Rico is like I sort of piece together in my terrible Spanish and then what ends up happening is I'll find a, a speaker who isn't very comfortable speaking English right so they'll speak Spanish and I'll answer in English and then we both just have this experience where it's like we don't really have to go that far outside of our comfort zone and we mostly know what we're saying and we sort of just kind of limp along and, and I just have like an enormous envy when I, you know, see sort of, sort of young, youngish Boricuas speaking Spanish and engaged in all of their capacity to relate and express. It's incredibly powerful and beautiful. And, and that's not me. It's hard. I don't have any answers for you, Jessica, except for I'm right there with you and I feel you and it hurts. And so I feel like what's, you know, like most things, what can we do? We can accept where we're at and we can accept all of the feelings that come up and all of the different ideas that we have about it. I think many of our parents, you know, and it's not just Boricua parents, it's, it's all sorts of Spanish speaking and other languages as well, you know, wanting their children to survive and thrive and not investing in the language with them. You know, that was a whole set of choices and kind of a whole generational movement and that had real consequence you know not like they weren't busy doing other things like trying to make sure we were fed and like healthy but that's a real I think socioeconomic racial ethnic political implication yeah just to add to that it's incredibly painful to hear my father speak fluent Spanish to people yet he would never teach me yeah yeah, yeah. I tell him all the time that it hurts yeah, it does hurt. It really does. And I, and I think, you know, there's something about that pain. If we, if we unpack that pain, it's like our parents saying to us, you wanted us to be better than you? Like, is that what you were doing? What was, what was the, you know, some of the messages embedded in that, that were maybe even unconscious? Like what really happened is that we feel disconnected from you and therefore from ourselves. And there's sort of a loss of love in that, even if it's not, right? Even if that wasn't the intention, right? But there's just this, this separation from beloveds, right? 
these answers are taking me in different places. I just, so I work with high schoolers and specifically right now, my job is to work with newcomers. I teach newcomers math, algebra. And so one, I just want to let you know, you've just inspired an idea right now. I'm like, I don't want them to lose who they are. I don't want them to lose their culture. Some of these young kids are, they're away from their parents. They let, they left their parents, you know? Mm. They're part of the like the young my young immigrants that came without parents left at the border. I want to help preserve whatever they've got and let it keep going. Anyway, so I don't even know what to ask anymore. But I do want to figure out like, okay, you're a writer. And how do I encourage and get my kids to write more? I I I really want to know. Because writing is getting kids to write any most high schoolers, it's painful, it's pulling teeth. In, even in my math class, when it's just like little sentences, just getting them to write. Do you have any advice? Yeah. I'm thinking that you teach algebra. How cool is that? I didn't think that's poetry. Thank you for doing that. It's so important that everybody writes, I think. I sort of wonder, what do we do with the things that we don't ever find a way to express? Where does that go? And so, you know, a few thoughts. I think having a safe space to write, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of, of young people writing in a notebook and their parents reading it or some strange. That's, that's like first degree betrayal. Again, with a different set of intentions, I, I realize, but it's a violation. So how, how do you create a space for students to trust and be able to write? I think the guidelines of writing practice are really helpful that you don't have to worry about spelling, punctuation, or grammar, that you follow your thoughts. You, what does the mind do? It thinks. What do the lungs do? They breathe. What does the heart do? It beats, right? You can't not think of something. There's always something to write. Not getting in the way, not censoring oneself, keeping one's um, hand moving, and having a prompt and having a set period of time. Maybe it's three minutes to start with, you know, and including examples like reading them poetry, reading them like really good poetry. <laughs> Let me translate that for you. That's funny that you bring that up because I have a really good friend and I always, I, I always tell people, I'm like, I don't like poetry. I've always said I hate poetry because the poetry I was exposed to. So I thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of people like Ocean Wong. I'm thinking about people like Terrence Hayes. I'm thinking about people like like young voices, right? Of BIPOC folks who are like, this is what you can actually do with the poem. Natalie Diaz, her first collection, my brother was an Aztec. Like that poem about dressing up for Halloween off the res and what her experience was. Like, and then you can just, you know, just just read a poem at the beginning of every class. And it can be like a short poem. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm gonna, and just be like, transparent with your students let's let's practice doing something that's uncomfortable let's let's rediscover you know like uh, a love of language let's try to find a love of language right and and the what poems do the rhythm right the specificity the details it's so juicy in your mouth and then maybe you have a ritual that at the end of every writing practice that's three minutes or five minutes long you know if they keep their hand moving the whole time they get something, you know, if they, you could work up to reading later, 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 but that they just keep their hand moving. And then 
maybe they just show it, right? But nobody reads each other. And then maybe they rip it up and throw it in the trash can on their way out. And it just becomes a process of like, a, this is our ritual where we matter, where our voices matter. And some of them might choose not to rip it up, right? You have a choice if you don't feel safe, if you've been betrayed in this way or violated in this way. If you write something, if you dare to write something that is so hot, it scares you, you can also still be safe. And I think those are just good exercises and, and sort of good muscles to exercise. And then the, those are building blocks, right? They sort of get to a place where some of them might really take to it. Some of them might eventually wanna read if they can read in a space where they get no feedback and just people or everyone is always wildly applauding no matter what they read, right? Like it has to be a consistent response. And maybe little a, a group forms, you know, where regularly, I don't know if you have the time and the space, but there might be a few students who want to come and write with you and read a poem, you know? And also not because like they may or may not become poets or they may or may not become writers or they're not a writer, but because like that, you deserve that right as a human being. You have a voice, you know, you have yes. a perspective, you experience life and that's enough, right? You don't have, also have to think, well, I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to be something. All of that like influence of, you know, capitalism and consumerism and like, are you being a good worker and are you going to make this into something? And is it going to, you're going to feed your soul, right? You're going to feed your like, and we, we're so, we're so um, starving, right? For, for real meaning, for real connection, for what really matters. One thing that I've been struggling with, and maybe anyone who has like an experience they want to share, is just really the sense of belonging and community. And I think going back to like culture and language and identity, how, how have you found community considering those, those barriers that we face as, as Puerto Ricans that, that don't speak the language, are not living there currently, weren't born there, but really desperately want to feel connected and know that it's important for our mental and spiritual well-being. Sometimes I feel like I don't belong here and I don't belong there. So where do I belong? You know, I'm not sure. That's a really good question. And I feel like I was just going to say, because you're, you know, in the Bay Area, this, there's not many Puerto Rican communities, like strong, like that's why your Ohio experience really like got my attention. I was like, oh, she gets it. Like not being like one of few Puerto Ricans. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what also happens is when you do sort of make a Puerto Rican friend, like I, I went to a intuitive painting retreat a few years ago and and that I just happened to be roommates with this woman I think we we're the only one color and also happened to both be both of our mothers are, are are Puerto Rican and so we got along great and also like that's a lot of pressure too do you know what I mean like you find another buddy and then you're like and now I need you to be all right my mirror my best friend my so you know we have to be I think we have to be careful and I think there's also all sorts of other things that we could potentially do right there's meetup groups right potentially you know is there could we put something out a call for for others similar to us I don't know I do know that I was fortunate enough to take a writing workshop with Aurora Levens Morales and there were 
all sorts of other folks in that workshop and a few Boricua folks and writing with them and listening to them and sharing heart with them was so deeply nourishing. You know, and then it was it was a year ago summer, you know, with the pandemic and everything raging. And then everyone tried to keep in touch, but sort of fell apart as things do. So I think something that I do is I try to include myself more and more in the relationships that I do have, because something that can happen is I sort of push aside aspects of myself, because I think that a particular friend, even if they're a very good friend, if they're not similar enough to me in those ways, maybe, maybe I don't need to share that thing. Right. And I've done a disservice to some really close friendships by not just giving a little bit of context and then sharing how I feel and then giving them the opportunity to potentially learn and then meet me. So I have some really amazing people in my life and, and they're all different kinds of folks. And I feel like what they have in common is that they are highly receptive to and accepting of my experience. Right. Jessica, you have such good questions. And I'm just like, I feel you. I feel you. I have no answers. <laughs> you come tell me. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I can imagine that you 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 do think about this a lot. Are you do you feel like this is something in your life that you're really longing for and missing? And yeah, I think I've always been a like in between shapeshifter person. And it'd be nice to feel like rooted in something. <laughs> Same. Yeah. I also think, and this is the the novel that I'm starting to work on now, like when can that become our superpower? So I'm actually working on trying to convert that inherently uncomfortable feeling into actually a real source of power. That's a good reframing. I like that. Yes. Wow. 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 That is a, we're all going to go forth now with our sensitivities and vulnerabilities, <laughs> walking in our superpowers. That's amazing. Yeah. I look forward to that. Can you say more about that? <laughs> because there's been, you have had a lot of work coming out. It's not just the piece that we are delving into in Article Club, but also you have this new piece in Elle magazine, and you also have your book out just a couple of months ago. There's just a lot going on in your writing world right now. Can you say a little bit more about how that's feeling right now and sort of where you feel like you're going? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's been like 20 years of putting in the time, right? That's a real thing. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. It took me that long to, to be able to tell the stories and say the things that I want to be able to say at this point. You know, and the novel took about three years to write. And then it was two years. There's a two-year runway before they accept it and it actually gets published, right? So, you know, sometimes I think I've heard other authors say this, they feel like a work is quite distanced by the time they're actually having conversations about it. What does not feel at a distance is the spirit of the work. That feels very close. And there was a, I had a really amazing publicist right at the beginning of getting ready to, to promote the book. And so we met a year before the book comes out. And she said to me, I think it would be great if you wrote some essays or, or wrote an essay, I think she said, it might help with with getting some readers for the book. And at the time I was just sort of like, you know, it was COVID. I had a tiny baby. I was just sort of losing my mind. I was like saying, come on. Like, also I had the terrible experience of like personal stuff in the world. And I was just like, mm. but I admired her so much. And I was like, okay, let me just try. And so I, I came up with a number of different pitches that were thematically related to the book. And she placed all of them immediately. And so I spent 
like December between semesters writing all of these essays. And then there was, you know, like a seven month lag between it came out in L and there's all of these serious time delays. So it, I think it's good in that way that it gives you some room to breathe and to, to contemplate and, and then to, to look back and read something maybe with, you know, we're different every day out, right? So we have a different chemistry with something that we go back and, and look at. And I am feeling that experience as well. And it's very much the time to begin writing again towards the completion of something, right? So all the stuff comes up, all the stuff comes up, you know? It's like, I tend to have really dreamy, opaque ideas, you know? And my agent is like, I don't really know what's going on here, <laughs> right? I'm sort of familiar with it. It's like, okay, so, so I know I've done this before and the sense of trust, right? The sense of trust we have in ourselves, And coming from a place of sort of listening to myself in interviews from March and beginning to orient myself around this novel. And before I even get a, a synopsis and a pitch that's where it needs to be so that it can potentially be sold, reminding myself, okay, how do I make contact and connection with the essence of this thing that wants to come into the world, right? So I go into that inner meditative space of how do I try to reach, make contact in the unseen realm and, and start to become receptive, right? What is it that this, you know, needs to be about? Who are the characters that need to speak? Who is, who is the character who's the most important character? What do you want me to call you? How do you want me, you know, like really coming with a sense of, of respect and, and summoning, conjuring, right? And I feel like that is something that we may not know those exact prayers in Yoruba or Taino, right? To conjure, but we know deep in our DNA that that is a practice that manifests from the unseen to the seen. So how do I figure out my own way? However awkward or, you know, I'm not sharing it with anyone. It's my sacred personal experience to begin the practice of conjuring and to trust myself and to trust all that wants this to, to come into form, right? So, and then it's, you know, then there's the, the, you just have to sit in a chair for a certain amount of time and keep your hand moving to come up with content, right? Because like sculptors, or unlike sculptors, right? We, we have to create all the material and then we have to shape it. So sometimes it can be a little less intimidating if I think, well, I just have to generate all this material that then I'm going to work and mold and, you know, revise. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really, really beautiful. And we just, we just appreciate you so much, the piece so much. I can't wait for everybody else in Article Club to read it and reread it. I'm just so appreciative. And we are so appreciative of your work, Jamie, as well as your words and just for sharing so generously this time with all of us. Thank you. You are so very welcome. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Jessica and Elizabeth and Sarai. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to just see you and to hear your questions and to also feel your connection. So I thank each and every one of you for that very, very much. One more time, I want to thank Jamie Figueroa for such a generous, thoughtful interview. I am really, really appreciative. 
Also, I'm grateful for Sarai and Elizabeth and Jessica for joining this conversation and for asking such honest and deep questions. Article Club is pretty great because of the outstanding authors and readers who make up our community. So as we close this episode, I just want to thank all of you, whether you're new or not so new to Article Club, for listening, for reading, and for taking part. Hope you have a great week.